Good morning. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, so good to see you this morning. Hey, if this is your first time worshiping with us here at Lindsay Lynn East, uh, I just want to say welcome to you first off and thank you for being here. And uh, we actually have a gift that we would love to give you today. Uh, so if you'd like to, to get your very own Lindsay Lane East t-shirt, uh, we have that for you at Next Steps. But um, we ask that you just fill out the card at the back of the seat in front of you, what we call our Connect card. And you can drop that by Next Steps on your way out. And uh, they'll give you your very own shirt. And you can make everybody jealous uh, at the restaurant that you're going to go to or uh, at work tomorrow. I don't know, whatever. But uh, we just want to give you that today. And if you're watching this online, you can definitely fill out uh, the Connect card as well in the description of the video. Um, that'll be there, and uh, you can let us know. And then either way, whether it's in person or online, we'll follow up with you as best we can this week and just to see if there's any way that we can pray for you. All right, Those cards can also be used to let us know about prayer requests and uh, to let us know about decisions that you'd like us to help you make, next steps that you'd love for us to help with. Um, over the years, I have heard several uh, preachers lead their churches to do a responsive, interactive thing. Um, let's see if you all know what I'm talking about. God is good. Y'all heard that one? Okay. So there, there's preachers that will do that. They'll say, God is good. And the church says, all the time. And then the pastor says, all the time. And then the church says, God is good. Right? And uh, not anything wrong with that. We're not going to do it here. But uh, I think it's cool. It's, it's a good reminder. It's, but it's only a good reminder if you know what the word good means. Right? Like, it, I, I'm afraid, uh, the churches that I, I grew up in that said that, I'm afraid that I, did, I didn't, at least, when I was saying that God is good, I didn't fully understand what I was saying. The word good in our culture doesn't mean much, right? We say things like, man, he's a good person. Well, like, I can say that about 90% of the people I know, right? I mean, you would too. They come, they good people. That's good. He's good people. Y'all heard that one? That's my favorite. He's good people. Multiple personality or something. I don't know. Um, but we also say, we say things like he's a good person when we know that he's not really that good. We talk about good pecan pie. If you don't like pecan pie, um, you know, there's grace for you. There is, there's forgiveness of sins. Danny, oh. well, we'll be looking for a new social media uh, team leader because Danny is fired effectively immediately. Uh, no, but I, I love, we, we talk about good pecan pie or good pizza. But is that what we mean when we say that God is good all the time? Man, I hope not. Is God really just above average? The goodness of God means so much more than what we realize. And that's why we're saying for the next three weeks in the sermon series that God is better than good. So we're going to be talking about what it looks like that God is better than good. We're going to be looking at a particular attribute of God, the holiness of God. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Isaiah chapter 6. That's where we'll be here in just a moment. Isaiah chapter 6. And if you are like the first service, they struggled to find it. So there's a table of contents at the beginning if you need help. Okay. Isaiah is an is a awesome, awesome book. And we're only going to be looking at uh, four of the eight verses that I'm about to read. For the next three weeks, we're going to be focusing on eight verses, but I want to read uh, I want to read all of them, then I'm going to pray, and we're going to come back and talk through this. So here we go. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. 
Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings, and with two they covered their faces, two they covered their feet, and two they flew. They called to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. And then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of armies. The one of the, uh, then one of the seraphim flew to me. And in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar. With tongs he touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed. Your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord asking, Who will I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. Let me say a word of prayer. God, we do ask that you uh, just uh, help us understand your word today. God, we thank you for it. We believe it to be totally 100% true and accurate and, uh, and, and applicable to our lives. Um, but God, we need your help to understand it. God, we need the work of the Holy Spirit in us to understand it. We pray over that today, God, that you would teach us to know you today and you would be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this morning, we're going to focus again on the first four verses of that. Um, but before we get to the outline, if you're a note taker and you got the outline, you're all fired up. I'm going to give you some pre-outline outline. Okay. Pre-outline outline. Uh, we got to get the context right. If you've been here just more than one time, you've probably heard me talk about the importance of context. And so we've got to understand some things that are going on here. First off, Isaiah is a prophet. Okay. Isaiah is a prophet. And what that means is that he speaks on behalf of God. So there were many prophets in the Bible, but Isaiah is one who speaks in a particular time for a particular purpose. But most of what the prophets do is call God's people to repent from their sin and begin to follow God. And that's what we see Isaiah doing. The book of Isaiah was not necessarily written by Isaiah, but it's a collection of his teachings. It's a coll- It may not be everything he said, but it's a lot of the things. You're thinking it's 66 book chapters. Surely he ain't got much more to say. But Isaiah, these are the collection of Isaiah's teachings, preachings, prophecy, and it's been put together so that you and I uh, can learn from it. And so um, that's who Isaiah is. But this begins in a very unique way that we've got to talk about. It says at the very beginning, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne in the hem of his robe. So what happens in the rest of the verses is this beautiful image of Isaiah in the the sanctuary, the most holy place, uh, or the holy place. He's there in the presence of God. It's this really cool thing. But you and I can just skip over that first little clause, in the year that King Uzziah died. Because... I, I viewed that more as a, I've always just kind of skipped over it and thought, okay, that's Isaiah just trying to provide us some context, right? He's just saying, hey, I had this vision back when you, y'all remember when King Uzziah died? Yeah, I had this, I had this vision then. But when you read the story of King Uzziah in Second Chronicles 26, what you find is that there's some, there's more going on. And so I want to tell you about this King Uzziah. Um, as we're reading the text, the first question we come to verse 1, it should be, hold on a second, let me pause here and let me figure out who King Uzziah is. So, this is verse 1 of 26, chapter 26, Second Chronicles. All the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father, Amaziah. 
After Amaziah the king rested with his ancestors, Uzziah rebuilt Eloth and restored it to Judah. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. He reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jecholiah. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the Lord's sight, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God throughout his lifetime, throughout the lifetime of Zechariah, the teacher of the fear of God. During that time, he sought the Lord, and God gave him success. So we see this. I mean, he's 16 years old. He gets the throne of Judah. Um, this is coming in the time of period. If you, if you know the history of Israel, you know that uh, there's a time period where it, actually they bicker with each other and they become two different nations. There's a nation in the north that be- continues to be known as Israel, but there's a smaller uh, kingdom in the south that becomes known as Judah. And so uh, Uzziah, at 16 years old, becomes king. And I know a lot of 16-year-olds, and they ain't none of them I won't sit on the throne. But for 52 years, he reigns. And we actually find out he was, a, he was a pretty good king as far as kings go. He had success. Beginning in verse 6, we see that all, we see actually all that God did through Uzziah. We find out that he won big battles against the Philistines. The big dogs that, that, that always tried to battle against Israel. He won success. In fact, it says that he built cities on their property. Okay, if you're building cities... On somebody else's property, that says something, doesn't it? It means you just whooped them, right? Like you, that's what that means. He's built towers and cities in territories that the Philistines once held. We actually find out that the Ammonites feared him. They knew, hey, this is a good king. This is a good leader. His army was well-trained, we find out. It was vast and well-trained and equipped with the best technology of the day. But we find out in verse 16 that all of it got to his head. Listen what it says. Verse 16. But when he became strong, he grew arrogant. And it led to his own destruction. He acted unfaithfully against the Lord his God by going into the Lord's sanctuary to burn incense on the incense altar. Listen to this. All the fame, all of the glory, all of the things that he had seen God do had begun to convince Uzziah that he was not just a king, he was a priest. And God had blessed him so much. And so this king, who was called to a particular purpose, for a particular reason, right, to lead politically and and in battle, he begins to act as a priest who he was never called to be, and he enters the holy place in the temple. Let's see. You want to see how that goes? Let's see how it goes. This king... This is important. This king, Uzziah, steps into the Lord's sanctuary arrogantly. We actually find out, uh, verses 18 or so, that 80 priests gather together to stop him. King Uzziah, don't do it. This is not a place for you, man. Go back to the palace, hang out, lead the army, but don't come into the sanctuary. Don't come into the holy place. But, you know, he knew better. And we found out this verse 21. So King Uzziah was diseased all the way through to the time of his death. And he had to live in quarantine with a serious skin disease and was excluded from access to the Lord's temple while his son Jotham was over the king's household governing the people of the land. What happened? He, he come, he, as a king, he comes arrogantly into the presence of God and he winds up with a... A skin disease, more than likely, well, we find out here in a second, leprosy. 
He has leprosy. And what happens? Because he came into the temple arrogantly, now he's not even allowed in. He was excluded from access to the Lord's temple for the rest of his life. And verse 23 says this, Uzziah rested with his ancestors. He was buried in the burial ground of the king's cemetery. Listen to this. This, this is what they said of him. This was like his epitaph. He has a skin disease. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty sorry epitaph. Like, that's a pretty sorry thing to have written on your tombstone. All the things that God had used him to do, all the things that the people of, it, the people of Judah had watched God do through this man, but because of his disobedience, what he is remembered as, as one who had a skin disease. He was a leper. So, now, all that context to say this. Uzziah is a king who's coming into the holy place arrogantly. But what we see in, in Isaiah, what is, look at the very first verse. In the year King Uzziah died, so we're drawing on that context. I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty what? Throne. In the where? Temple. I thought it was right after it, but it's not. Okay, anyway. All right. The temple. Yes. But wait, I thought the throne was in the palace. Right? That's where the king stays is in the palace. See, what King Uzziah didn't understand is when he rolls up into the temple, he rolls up into the sanctuary, the holy place, what he didn't realize is that there was a throne in there, but his butt didn't fit it. There was already a God on that throne. You see, you and I think of the temple as, as, a, as a place of worship. And yes, it, it was a place of worship for God's people. But there was a throne in the holy place, in the most holy place. The Ark of the Covenant, the, the mercy seat of God is where the presence of God dwelt. There was already a king there. And when he came in arrogantly, he left very, very humbly. And so we're going to talk some more about that, uh, about the connection between Uzziah and Isaiah uh, next week. But th that's the connection that we're supposed to see. The reason why he says the year King Uzziah died, we're supposed to be drawing this connection from a king entering the temple. Isaiah tells us there already is a king on there. And one more thing that might confuse you just before we jump in. Who are these seraphim? Okay. Uh, six wings, flying, that seems weird. Um, yes, they are weird, but they are a, a, uh, they are a heavenly being that seems to be created for the sole purpose of glorifying God all day in his presence. And so, um, we won't spend any more time there, but if you're interested, you can, you can research some more, uh, they're mentioned again in Revelation and we get a little bit more detail, but so now we're to the outline. That's all the context just to lay the foundation. Point number one is this holiness an attribute of God. We're talking about holiness for the next three weeks. Holiness, an attribute of God. The spiritual beings called seraphim that Isaiah sees begin to cry out worship to God. And they begin this, they begin this worship by declaring that God is what? Holy. Okay. They say that God is holy. What we're, what we're realizing is that holiness is an attribute of who God is. So all of us have attributes and characteristics, right? Um, Heath Haney, as you know him, is a whole conglomeration of characteristics and attributes. Some of you see some of them. My wife sees all of them and the worst of them, right? Uh, those that live in our house get to see the worst of who we are. But 
Uh, some of you, you have attributes like kindness, hospitable, caring, funny, trustworthy, genuine. And there are others, not anybody in this room, though. Not anybody in this room. Uh, it can be mean, stuck up, selfish, untrustworthy, arrogant. And for each one of us, there is a list of characteristics that define the whole of who we are. In the same way, there is a set of characteristics that define in the best way that they can all of who God is. We see that God is merciful. He is love. He is gracious. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present. He's just. He's eternal. And the list could just keep going on and on and on. I wanted to actually, we're going to discuss those this calendar year uh, in a sermon series, discuss some of the attributes of God. That'll be really fun. But for now, we need to recognize that holiness is one of these attributes. The, the, the seraphim are saying, God is holy. Um, quick, just a moment, a little plug. Uh, I don't get any money from the sale of books, okay? I didn't write them. I don't get a kickback. She doesn't even know I'm doing this. But if you're a lady in the room and you've never heard of Jen Wilkin, you need to throw out every other book you have and just buy every Jen Wilkin book there is. Don't throw away the Bible. Keep that. But throw out every other book. Um, Jen Wilkin is a, is a Bible teacher uh, down in, in Texas. Um, and, man, just an incredible teacher. Uh, actually been very formative in my outside of uh, the teaching that my wife has at the local church. Um, that's number one in her life, uh, the classes that she sits in, uh, the, the, the awesome preaching that she sits under, you know. Um, I'm just kidding. But second to that, second to the teaching in her in her local church, uh, she's been formative in my wife's spiritual journey. And uh, so this is a book called In His Image. On Easter, we talked about what it means to be made in the image of God. Um, this book, in the most clear and bottom shelf way, like in a simple understanding way, describes what it looks like. Uh, the characteristics of God, what, she, uh, what theologians call communicable attributes of God, which means they're things, these are attributes we see of God that he's also called us to be, right? Loving, gracious, merciful, all those things. This is a book called In His None Like Him. And this book actually tells us the incommunicable attributes, which are the things that are only God. And when you and I try to be these things, we look dumb and we usually sin. Right? And so that's these two books, and I encourage you, encourage you ladies to check these out. They are beautifully written and so simple. Uh, so now, uh, for the men in the room, if you are not reading and listening to Jen Wilkin, you need to be. She's a Bible teacher over in Texas, and she's incredible. And outside the teaching that I receive from men who pour into my life and in the local church, there are few who have been more formative over the last three to four years in my spiritual journey than Jen Wilkin. And I want to recommend two books to you, men. One of them's called In His Image. And I'm not going to tell you what it's about because I've already been there. And then none like him, I'm telling you. Um, but I, I'm, I'm like you. I don't like a frou-frou cover. Okay, so go get you some butcher paper. They sell it down at Walmart. Glue it on the front. And then you could get on the airplane with this and nobody knows you're reading a chick book. Because honestly, outside of the introduction, she's just writing to Christians. She's just writing to people. The introduction is very woman-friendly, calling women to live in a particular way. But for the rest of the book, it's just a good book of theology um, and about God's nature. And then this one, too. Um, so buy some scraps of leather or some butcher, blo butcher paper and cover those things up and buy them 
13 bucks at Lifeway or somewhere like that. I don't know where I bought these. Christian book, or I don't know. You can find it online. Um, please do that uh, if you're interested in reading more about the, the characteristics and attributes of God. So we're talking about holiness as an attribute of God, but uh, what was, as I was studying and just looking, uh, what I realized is that holiness might be, and, and I would say is, more important than any of the other attributes in understanding who God is. So point number two is this, holiness more than an attribute. It's more than just an attribute of who God is. Look at back at verse 3. And one, talking about the seraphim, they called to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. So the angels didn't just say that God is holy. What did they say? God is. Thank you. God is holy, holy, holy. And if you and I spoke with repetition like that, pastors, we get a pass. We get to speak with repetition from the pulpit. But if I spoke to you and repeated things like that, you would slap me, right? It would be annoying if someone repeated the same things all the time. Uh, but in the biblical text, uh, if the same thing is said twice, it's to get our attention. Um, it's to draw our eye to something. That's why Jesus begins many of his uh, very important statements in the New Testament. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. That's Jesus' way of going, hey, 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 listen. Right? All I have to do with my kids. Hey, that's Jesus' way of getting our attention. But when something... Uh, is, is said three times, it's done for more than emphasis because you see the number three in the Bible represents completeness, represents wholeness. We see God as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Jews looked at three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Sa- uh, Samuel is called three times by God, not once, twice, but three times by God before he finally uh, responds properly. Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane three times before he's arrested and ultimately killed. And what day did he raise from the dead? Yeah, on the third day. Ah, okay. And here the angels say that God is not just holy and not just holy, holy, but God is holy, holy, holy. They're declaring that God is completely and perfectly holy. For God, his attribute of holiness is more than just an attribute. It's more than just a characteristic that we see in him sometimes. Tony Evans, another pastor, uh, or a pastor in, uh, I don't remember where he's from. Anyway, he's got Texas, I think. God's holiness, uh, this is what he says, God's holiness unlocks the door to understanding and making sense out of everything else about him. You see, holiness really is the nature, the very nature of who God is. It's the attribute by which all other attributes are understood and measured. And to help you see that, I've got to help you understand what the word holy means. I've got to help you understand what the word holy means. Oftentimes we think only in terms of morality. Holy means not sinning. And I'm going to tell you, it does. Partially. That's part of what it means, is to not sin. But that's not the whole picture of what the word conveys. Holy is also used by uh, superhero sidekicks. You know what I'm talking about? You remember that? Some of y'all, some of y'all literally remember that. I don't remember it. I had to... You know, I wasn't born then, but anyway, um, let me just say something to the young people in the room. I know Marvel movies are awesome. I know that, and they're incredible, but nothing beats 1960s TV serial Batman. You need to go check it out. It's action-packed. Uh, I mean, they literally tell the same story over and over and over again. Uh, great writers on that show, but check check it out. Uh, it's one of my favorites, just to go back and watch. Um, 
Okay, anyway, but Robin would always say, holy something, like holy strawberries, Batman, or something. He always had those things. If you know it, you know it. But these are not the fullest intent of the word. It's not just about morality, and it's not just some word that we use as an adjective. Holiness, this is point number three, sets God apart. You see, the most basic definition of the word holy means set apart or other, different, totally unique. If you've encountered and you know God, you should agree that there is no better way to describe him than just different. We just got through Easter. I don't know about you, but we had a family gathering at Easter. We do for all of our holidays. Uh, and oftentimes on the big holidays, you might get together with uh, kind of the extended family, a little bit, little bit further reach. And y'all know as well as I do, some of y'all's family is just different. You know what I mean? We've all got that uncle or that cousin or that nephew. It's just weird. And some of you are that person. <laughs> and your family's thinking that about you at Easter. But when I say different, I'm talking about a relative, I don't, that's not what I mean. But it is clear from Scripture and from personal experience that God exists and acts in totally unique ways, in ways that you and I do not. As we've already stated, God isn't just holy. He's not just set apart. He is set apart, set apart, set apart. He's completely holy. He's completely or perfectly set apart. And this actually introduces another characteristic of God, which is one of those 10-pound words that's really impressive, and you can use it to impress your friends, but it has a really, really simple meaning. And I'm not going to try to spell it to you because I'm pretty sure I misspelled it in my notes. But that's the word transcendent. God is transcendent. And to say that God is, is that is to say that he is above all of creation and honestly that he is totally unreachable in every way. It's seen most clearly, I think most plainly in Isaiah 55, sticking with the same uh, book that we've already started studying, Isaiah 55, beginning in verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. Listen to this. For as, high, as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's thoughts, his ways, and really his very being is so far higher than ours that we can't even, can't even fathom who he is or what he's doing. He's above us and unreachable in every other way. And I don't know if this is your first time or your millionth time in church, but I need you to recognize that. God's word needs you to recognize that, that God is above you in every way and you could not reach him in a million years on your own effort. God is perfectly holy and transcendent. And so if God is so far above us and he's working on a whole other level, the question stands to be asked, how can we even know God? How could we even know who God is? I want to tell you a story. I hate ants. If you like ants, I don't know what to do with you, but I hate ants. Because I have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old who don't like to put their food away. And I have a security system that keeps humans out of my house, but I have nothing to keep ants out of my house. They find their way in. Something strikes me when I think about God's transcendence. I think about ants. And I realize that there are ants who live their entire lives underground. 
working for the queen, just doing their thing. They get after it. And then they die. And they never know that you and I exist. You ever thought about that? There are ants underground right now that never know that you and I exist. And even if they do come up, unless we're around. So the question stands to reason, how do ants discover humans? Because there, there aren't history books, right? They don't watch TV that learn to learn about it. How do ants learn about humans? When I'm playing football in my backyard and I step in an ant hill. That's how ants learn about humans. A huge foot gets planted into their home and they go, huh, right? That's a big complex creature. Ant, me, right? The only way ants know that I exist as such a complex creature is if I step into their world. In the same way, you and I are infinitesimally small in comparison to the bigness of who God is. And apart from God working, you and I would never know that God existed. He's on a whole other level. He's, he's, he, is, uh, he is above us. He is transcendent. However, he's chosen to make himself known. And that, my friends, is the beauty of, of who God is. He could, God, could have, God could have created human beings and backed away and, retra- and, and retracted into himself every single knowledge that we would never know that God existed. But he has chosen to make himself known to us. He's chosen to, to step into our world. Listen to this. If, if, if he had not made himself known, there would be no way for us to know anything about him. Listen, if you know anything about God, and some of you, you've been in church longer than I've been alive, praise God for you. But listen to me. If you know anything about God, it's because He wanted you to. Like, let that sink in. Like, God wants us to know Him. You didn't just find out about God on a commercial one day. Like, God had to put in our world things that we know about Him. You look at certain things. You look at a tree and go, that didn't just come from nowhere. You study the depths of DNA. That didn't just come from nowhere. We look at your telescope and see planets in the sky. That didn't just come from nowhere. If you and I know things about God, they are from Him. But God doesn't just reveal through nature and... And, and through uh, DNA and this, this cosmos about himself, he actually lets us know real characteristics. He lets us know about his character and his nature in two ways. This is the post outline. outline. Two ways. First one, he revealed it to us through his word. In the Bible... From beginning to end, the active word of God, we learn the attributes of God. From page one of creation to page whatever of recreation, we see the nature and attributes of God. Listen, he wanted us to know what he is like. He didn't leave us to guess who is God and what's he like. And um, we don't get to, and here's another thing, we don't get to choose what your favorite God is. You know, talk to some people. They like a vengeful God, right? 
It's usually bitter people. <laughs> people that want God just always show his vengeance. Oh, you want to cross me? Uh, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Your car is going to break down next week or something. And then there's other people who just want God to, to just be cool and loving. Right? I don't know. Some hippie, hippie God. Hippie Jesus, right? We, talk, we, we look at all these attributes of God and we want to pick and choose, but God's Word lays them all out in such a way that, that you and I don't get to pick. You don't get to choose a loving God or a just God. You get God. The God that we worship is who He has always been and will continue to be all of those things forever. And we get to read about it not because we're smart, but because God chose to reveal Himself in His Word. Not only did He reveal Himself to us through, his, through the Bible, y'all, He revealed it to us in Jesus. Just as an ant doesn't know I exist until I step into their world, literally. Jesus, God stepped into our world. As Jesus, he stepped in. As we read last week in Colossians, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus shows all of humanity what God is like by living a perfect life, displaying the very attributes of God throughout his lifetime. In Jesus, God not only revealed God's nature in person, he showed God's love for mankind. By dying for sinners. He showed his love for mankind and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. He reveals the nature of God and then invites us into a relationship with God through the shed blood and the resurrection of Jesus. I never know. Um, I never know what heart you come in here with. Even those of you that I know well. I don't know what's on your heart. I don't honestly know where everybody is spiritually. But here's what I want to tell you. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, if all this is new to you, here's what you need to recognize. God did step into your world. And it wasn't to bring wrath, but grace and love. And today, you can trust in Jesus as your Savior. We would love to help you walk through that. We'd love to show you what that looks like. But for some of you, you're, you may already be a Christian. You've already trusted in Christ. You're already there. So let me ask you a question. How, what is our response to holiness supposed to be? What's it supposed to be? We're going to talk some more about what is it like to go in the presence of God as sinners. Hold on to that for next week. But for today, can we just take a lesson from the seraphim? These creepy six-winged creatures who understand the presence of God. They understand the holiness of God. And what do they do? They sing. They worship. Listen, I don't know what, I don't know what kind of heaviness you came in with today. Um, you may have had a terrible week. Health stuff, family stuff, whatever. And you're, the first three songs we sang may have been greatly affected by the week you've had. Let me remind you of what we just talked about. Mankind 
does not deserve to know anything about God, but he chose to make himself known. That little, that little taste, that little beauty of the holiness of God is enough that should ignite in our hearts worship today. So if you came in heavy heart and you sat there for the first three songs thinking about all your junk, can I just challenge you to rest in the fact that God wants you to know him? And let that bubble over during this last song as we talk about and sing about how God is holy. There's no evidence in Scripture that God has blessed the seraphim in any way. Jesus didn't die for them. But they still got down. They still worshiped. Christians in the room... Are you waiting on a blessing from God to start worshiping? To start singing in our service? To start getting down for God? That's not the model we see here. Isaiah 6. We want to serve and worship and praise God now. Not waiting. We're going to sing a song of response as we always do each week. And this is a time, honestly, uh, it's my time to worship each week. Just to, and, and I get all this off of my chest. And I get to breathe and I get to sing. That is my response. I sing and I worship God. And that may be your response today. Just in light of Jesus being, or God being holy and sending Jesus to make a way for us to know him and have a personal relationship with him. And maybe that just, that's what you need to sing today. But for some of you, maybe you need to put steps behind something. Uh, I'm going to be down front to talk with you. Um, if you'd like to come talk about salvation, you never trusted in Jesus, we'd love to talk with you about that. We'd love you to walk through, walk you through those steps and what that looks like. But I don't know how to talk to you unless you come tell me. So I'm going to be either right here or right here on this front row. You just come and let me know that you'd like to trust in Jesus and we'd love to help you with that. You may want to talk about baptism. You may want to talk about joining this church. You may want to talk about any other thing. We're, I'm here for you, to receive you, to talk with you. The altar is also open for you to bring the requests, your own requests or the requests of others to the altar of God just before this church family and say, God, be with this person or be with me or be with this situation. I'm going to say a word of prayer. And I don't know how you're going to respond, but I know how I'm going to respond. I'm going to worship and I'm going to sing from the depths of my heart. I'm going to say a word of prayer. And after I pray, let's all stand and sing and you respond however God leads you to do. Father, we thank you. God, that uh, God, even in your bigness and the vast of your, the vast uh, reach of your nature and your character, God, that you didn't leave us just grasping it, trying to find evidence of something important and something that's lasting. But God, you, uh, you revealed yourself. The God of all creation made himself known to me, a sinner undeserving of it. And God, I'm so thankful for your word and I'm so thankful for Jesus who died for me. God, I pray that everybody here, God, would be drawn into a relationship with you if, they not, if they're not already. God, I pray that, um, God, those who... Uh, just caught up in sin and caught up in lifestyles, God, that are not honoring to you. God, that today you remind them that you are holy and you've called us to follow you. So God, lead us to repentance. 
to get out of the mess we're in with your help to begin to live for you. God, I pray with this time of response, God, that you would lead us, God, to take the next steps that we need to take. It's overwhelming to think about everything in my life that needs to change, but God, um, you're in the business of changing me little by little, day by day. God, help us as a church family um, to take next steps today in our walk with you. We love you, God, and we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray.